This is the post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you all the big match reaction with views from the press box, the dugout and the stands. Hello and welcome to the post-game podcast. Pre-game though, ahead of the start of the new Premier League season. We've been waiting for so long for it to get back underway, but thankfully Blue Sky is overhead and the new season ready to begin with the sun shining down. The Reds, of course, starting at Carrow Road. We're going to, though, look through the Reds' pre-season, talk about the summer transfer window and also what the Reds will hope to achieve. Here alongside myself, Guy Clark, we have Steve Dawson and Mark Baker, two of our regulars on the post-game podcast. And uh, Steve, I'll come to you first. How are you keeping? It's been a, a long summer break, including the international tournament we had sort of through the middle of it. But finally, Premier League football's back. Yeah, and delighted, delighted for it to come back as well. We got a taste, didn't we, of, of crowds at Anfield just the other day. And that was that was so good to watch. Um, here where I am in Singapore, you know, we, we've had we've had lockdown and we've had periods of relative freedom and back to lockdown again. And we're just coming out towards freedom again. So... Liverpool fans in Asia um, have a having a differing time regarding COVID, but I think everybody absolutely together in the idea of the return of the Premier League and uh, and following another hopefully successful campaign for Liverpool. Yeah, the ticketing stuff didn't quite go to plan, maybe for for Liverpool over those two games with Athletic Bilbao and, and Osasuna, Mark. But absolutely brilliant. Anfield's not the same without supporters, is it? No, uh, I think it'll be big for Liverpool in particular, Guy. I think obviously the way the way Liverpool play, I think it's much more suited to Manchester City to play behind closed doors. They you control all the variables in a game of football with and without without the ball. Always have pretty much sole control of the game. Whereas Liverpool thrive a bit more when the game's more frantic and in a bit more chaos a lot of the times, especially when they play against the better sides. So um, I think it'll hopefully improve Liverpool's results and it'll be a big factor in Liverpool's performances and results at Anfield being a lot better. Yeah, I hope that can be the case. Let's then talk, I suppose, before we even get into the game with Norwich, though. Take it all the way back to the end of, of last season. What was it? Eight wins, the final 10 games, I think it was, for Liverpool. And Steve, what are you kind of, having seen Liverpool secure that third place finish in the end, what are you hoping to see from the Reds this time around? Well, third place was far beyond what I expected. I, I, I clearly remember saying to friends and family at some point, uh, must have been around February, March, Liverpool are not going to qualify for the Champions League. So so third place was above expectations uh, at that time. So I'm delighted that we're there. And now that we are there, um, you know, the, the summer's not done yet, is it? We've got uh, a few days left of the, a good few days left of the transfer window. And I am expecting Liverpool to make um one more reasonably big purchase and I'm sure we'll talk about that in in time to come but the purchase we've made looks like a solid one and and I think as things stand now we have a squad that is is comfortably uh, able to secure second spot in the Premier League and if if Manchester City have a a less than super stellar campaign then there's no reason why we can't challenge for the title um Champions League's a, a different thing it's more of a lottery isn't it um but if we can if we can strengthen, probably with a midfielder or or perhaps with a another player up front who will constantly be knocking on the door of the first eleven rather than a somebody who just comes in, um, you know, when we're short staffed when we've got injuries, then I think we can I think we can you know the sky's the limit if we can get one more signing 
otherwise uh yeah i think i think we're we're up there and we're challenging so uh, i'm relatively satisfied with the the way things are as we as we sit on the on the eve of a new campaign yeah most definitely and i, I suppose sort of just picking up there with what you were saying cool. I suppose the back end of last season as well kind of gives the optimism as well because we know how well Liverpool started bar sort of the, the defeat at Aston Villa, the heavy one aside up until Christmas, how strong Liverpool were going. Then there was kind of that that nine-game, 12-game period where things kind of really fell away before, of course, the run in Liverpool coming so strong. It just shows, Guy, the, the depth that we have in the squad, um, that we, we had so many people step up uh, and and show that they had quality. And, and we had to change our system so many times, not so much our system, but the personnel that fits into our system so many times. It was it was quite ridiculous. Um, the, the season we had with the injuries was was unprecedented. And I, I can't think anything like that is going to happen again. But the, the signs are there. If we can if we can ride through that really quite dreadful storm and finish third. Um, OK, we've lost Genie. Um, we've we've gained a very solid defender. Um, I think we, we've effectively got more players back, recovering from injury, um, all over the park. And I, and I think I think the way we ended last season bodes particularly well for the way we can start. And it's all about the start, isn't it? You know, when we, we we've had we've had uh, in recent se- seasons some pretty exceptional starts where we go game after game without dropping points. And if we can get a good start to the campaign. Um, and ease our players who've come back at different times back into the system. Um, then I think we're in we're in good shape to uh, to really really challenge. What do you make of it, Mark? Sort of the back end of, of last season and carrying that form over. Do you think it's as easy as sort of saying that form can carry across? We know for the sort of two full seasons prior to that, Liverpool have these runs of form under like sort of in the locker. They can kind of go on these kind of runs or. I suppose the team, the dynamic with Wijnaldum moving on may, may have changed a bit. Yeah, I think it's always difficult, Guy. I think the idea that Liverpool could go from such an inconsistent season to suddenly being back to the levels they were for the, the previous two seasons before, and I think it's always a bit of a fanciful one, really. Um, Liverpool struggled last season for large periods, but as you quite rightly said, I think it does make a difference that they did finish the season positively and got over the line. We know how important the Champions League qualification is for Liverpool, and not not just in terms of obviously financially, but also for the sort of the atmosphere around the club, the, the the feeling that the club is still moving forward, they are still competing at a level um, in which all the players previously did, obviously winning the league and, and winning the Champions League. So I think it does. Matter. However, for Liverpool to be back to the levels of consistency of performance and results that they displayed previously, I think that that will be difficult to try and get back to that. So I think it'll be important that they get off to a really good start. What do, I'll come back to you, Mark, just in terms of, I suppose, the big difference from last season with Mr. Wijnaldum moving on and just kind of you often on, on post-game sort of give us a bit of a tactical breakdown. How do you think that's going to change the makeup of the midfield? Because we've not seen a like-for-like replacement come through the door. Do Liverpool have it within their ranks to to find somebody else to step up or... Are you thinking we might have to see a different way in that in in which that midfield is set up? Yeah, Van Alden was such an important player for Liverpool. We know, obviously, out of possession, gave such great balance to the midfield, played every single football match, and also was excellent at retaining possession, excellent 
at manipulating his body to to maintain the ball. So I think the fact that he was almost an automatic pick for Klopp week in, week out suggests that them minutes are going to have to come from somebody else. Interesting for me is obviously in the pre-season, I wondered whether we'd see something slightly different from Liverpool in terms of the makeup of that midfield, whether it might be a, a two and one in front. I haven't really seen that. I think it's been mainly sort of a midfield three that's still been in place. And I think Klopp is very wedded to that system, it seems, as a Liverpool manager. I don't know whether that's because of sort of forward players in Salah and Manny and Firmino's role in that is perfectly suited to play in that 4-3-3. I think that, for me, I think the most likely to sort of replicate Van Alden's position might be Curtis Jones. I think he's excellent at retaining the ball. He's got excellent levels of endurance. However, we know he is more of a forward-thinking player, and I think he's got a lot more to show in that aspect in terms of what he can bring to the final third. But I think he has got a lot of transferable skills in his ball retention and his mobility that he could play a lot of games in that midfield. And obviously, Keita, I think Klopp will really be hanging his hat on Keita playing in an amount of games to to show that he's worth persevering with. I mean, we all know he's he's got great technical ability and he's pressing the ball in terms of the amount of pressures per game and all them kind of statistics, which add up really nicely for him. But he, we know that he doesn't get on the field to play often enough. So I think Klopp will be feeling that Cater would be the one he's invested heavily in him, but also the fact that last season Cater's job's impact is certainly two players who can do a job if you wanted to to carry on that sort of three-man midfield away from what you would believe is his first choice three in Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago. And interestingly enough, I mean Thiago, Henderson, the more than capable Fabinho as well as playing as a two-man midfield. But I just feel that Klopp is pretty entrenched in that 4-3-3 and I'd be surprised if we've seen it change, maybe in odd games, but I'd be surprised if that wasn't his go-to default system, if you like. Yeah, definitely. I have to say, Steve, myself, sort of even going back to, to the beginning of last summer when it was beginning to become a bit evident that this contract saga was going to be a thing with Genie Wijnaldum, it struck me, and I don't know if it's as simple as this, if... Jurgen Klopp or Pep Linders put their arm around Curtis Jones and said, we know what you've done in the academy and been a very attacking player, but be like a sponge to Genie Wijnaldum this season. Watch how he mm. goes about things in training. Watch him in matches and try and replicate him. Because when we did see him, it was a very different player to what had been in the academy. And it, as Mark was saying there, he, he kind of does show that, like Wijnaldum, came in as an attacking midfield player, can sort of have those skills to transfer them into a more functional player. And it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder how much we'll actually see of Curtis Jones. You know, we saw a reasonable amount of him in the second half of the season. And you'd think that naturally um, we'd see a little bit more because he's a year more experienced and Ginny Van has gone. But I guess one thing to remember is that last season our midfield was disrupted by both injuries and then by players being displaced, having to having to take their place in the, in the centre of defence. So we saw... Henderson, uh, uh, Thiago, Fabinho in particular moved out of that midfield or unable to take their place in that midfield. And among among what was going on there were some of the reasons that we saw Curtis Jones so much. So yes, we've lost Gini Wijnaldum, but effectively we've got those players back now who are ready to take their, their preferred positions. And you know, I mean, you're looking at Fabinho, Thiago, Naby Keita, as Mark says, and I'm a big Naby Keita fan, and Jordan Henderson, Jordan Henderson being the four who are competing for the three positions. 
And Jimmy Milner will be a, a utility man. It won't just be in midfield. Probably he'll play. He'll play positions at uh, you know either side of the defence as well. But I still would expect Curtis Jones to not be uh, a significant factor this season. There's plenty of football to be played. We've got plenty of matches, but I'm not sure we'll see an awful lot more of Curtis Jones this season compared to last season. Um, I hope he gets over the little injury niggle he's got now and that, and that we do get to see him. But, you know, five, six into three won't go. The other impact of obviously changing your system by playing at the man midfield. I mean, when you think about number 10s in the modern game, they've pretty much gone out of a lot of formations. Very few, very few sides actually operate with a number 10. And you've got to have a real elite player if you're going to play with a two and a one. Some sort of operate in that hole and... I don't know, you know, that player's got to be able to play on the half turn, receive the ball in the tightest of areas. For me, it's probably the most difficult position to play on the football pitch. And if Liverpool were to switch to that system, the only player you could really see doing that and having the level to do that is obviously Firmino, who's played there when Liverpool adopted that system previously. I know a couple of seasons ago they did. But then that obviously changes last position. He goes into a centre-forward position. And then you've got to find the right-sided player, you'd imagine, an interchange between Jota and Manny. So... I think by changing the system, it also, in the midfield, it also ch- changes the attack and the positions that them players have to play, and it has a knock-on effect, and I think it's a big change that Klopp would have to make um, to incorporate that change, really. I suppose as well, you, you kind of think Harvey Elliott is there as well, and, and throw him into the mix. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Before we, we go any further, though, let's get into... To transfers, it is the the currency with which everybody loves to talk about. And uh, Steve, I'll throw over to you on this one. What's on the shopping list? I suppose <laughs> the the fantasy of what you hope to see, and what do you think the reality will be? And what have we got? Sort of two two weeks and three days, I think it is, until the window shuts. Yeah, well, Kylian Mbappe, please. There's your <laughs> yeah. fantasy. I won't say too much more about it. I don't see it happening yet. I feel I still think there's a reasonable chance, but probably twelve months. From now, um, it, Liverpool have been linked with so many players. I mean, it must be you know twenty or more, and and you they go about their business so discreetly these days that you. I've to be honest, I've I've stopped. I see the headlines and they're enticing, but I I don't read the story because I nothing seems to come of it. Um, I. I if we if we make one purchase and you know if if we if we gauge that purchase purchase around the the pound sterling mark you know if it's around a a thirty five to fifty million purchase I think that'd be very nice I don't think it would need to be a midfielder I don't think we ought to necessarily step into the we need a replacement Pagini um, story I think probably if we are going to make that purchase I'd like to see um, another uh, forward. Who can, who can really challenge for a position? We've got four, but I think we're probably, you know, this is this doesn't sound good, but we're probably due an injury or two with our with our gents up front. Um, so I'm not sure that four will will staff us well throughout the campaign. If we can add one more strong, established forward, and and I'm looking beyond the likes of uh, Oxley Chamberlain, you know, a, a higher a higher standard than that. Um, it's very nice to see Harvey Elliott. Elliot knocking on the door and you know I've been impressed with him as I'm sure many people have in, in pre-season but he's still very young and I don't think we can expect uh, 
so very much from him this season. It'll be a, a continuing learning curve and, you know, he'll come into his own in due course, but I think it's still a little bit too early to expect too much from him for the time being. So if we're going to buy one more and we're going to put decent money down, I think I'd, I'd like it to be someone up front there. Um, I was reading uh, Jonathan Liu, I think it was, in The Guardian today, and, and he was talking about how Liverpool will continue to string along their three 29-year-old forwards, which will work very well until it doesn't. And, you know, that, that's the thing. I, I'm expecting that at that age, one or two of those guys will will pick up an injury that may keep them out for longer than one or two games. And, uh, you know, we, we may be short with the four that we currently have. Yeah, it does defy physics that you have those three players at the top end of the pitch who play 50 games a season. And certainly Salah and Mane sort of running at the speeds they do without picking up niggles and knocks. Diogo Jota is there. There is such a clamour, Mark, for transfers to be made, midfield and the top end of the pitch primarily being the area that everyone is looking at. But I suppose Elliot does come into the conversation here. I suppose Ox, if he can stay fit as he did by and large a couple of seasons ago and, and last year kind of beset with an injury that sort of during pre-season that never really got him that grounding for the season to come. What what do you make of it? Do you think Liverpool are in a position where they need additions as, as desperately as people make out? Or do you think actually the composition of the squad's quite strong? Yeah, first of all, Guy, I think the squad is is Liverpool have a lot of players in a lot of positions. What I would say, though, it's really hard to buy if you're Liverpool from Liverpool's current position because essentially what you've got to buy is, for me, to move the team forward. You've got to buy a player who's going to come and be better than what you've got or be making an, an immediate impact in the first 11 or take Liverpool forward. I mean, there's a lot of areas that people are talking about, but for me, the ideal kind of player be a hybrid, somebody who can play in the midfield three if required, play at number 10 if required, but also play as part of the front line on either side of the pitch, for example. So, I always use the example of being a but, you know, fantastic player. Liverpool, for me, have gone on to great things without him. But that kind of player Liverpool still miss for me. They've got a lot of vertical players, a lot of players who run, want to run in behind directors, but they lack that little bit of craft, that little bit of ingenuity in there. And like I say, had that kind of player, then what you could essentially do is you could play that player in your midfield three against the lesser teams who would then be able to pass and potentially open open the door. But also, he could also be an option in the front three. So that he could be almost um, uh, a false a false wide player. So you'd have the option of the two, but it'd have to be a really elite player to do that. I mean, I touched on the switching systems before again, and you made a really good point, Guy, about... Harvey Elliott, but he's a very young player, mostly played off the right-hand side so far in this career, hasn't he, with sort of pressure from one side. And I think it's a real different job when you're in there. Not saying he couldn't do it in the but playing that central congested area as, as a 10, um, with your back to goal or on the half turn. And the other player who can do that in Liverpool's squad potentially is Shakiri, who obviously looks like he's going the other way and potentially having a move. So I feel that that kind of player would be the ideal because they take Liverpool on and give them something that the rivals have got when you think about your De Bruyne, your Grealish, Phil Foden. These kind of players fit all that hybrid criteria that Liverpool just haven't quite got a little bit of craft in there. And I'd certainly be looking at a player in, in that mould. Yeah, I just opened the door slightly here for you, Mark, because I know how much you like him. There was a, a slight Argentinian who used to wear the number 10 shirt in <laughs> in Catalonia who, who who was available but I, I joke and jest but 
Liverpool have seen that one come and go. Do you think, though, Mark, there sort of is a need for, I suppose, even a marquee signing? We've seen Ibrahima Kanate, but that was right at the start of the summer. It feels as though for Liverpool fans being starved, I suppose, of that. We saw it three years ago now. Alisson, Fabinho, Van Dijk had arrived in, in the winter market just before that. Are Liverpool going to be reaching a crossroads, do you think, needing to bring in some elite players in the here and now? Or, or, or do you think it's just a case of biding the time for your likes of, of Elliot and even Diogo Jota to reach those kind of levels? For me, I, if Liverpool could acquire an elite player with the traits I've, I've talked about, um, I think that'd be good for them. But by elite player, that doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's on everybody's radar. It could be someone who's got them elite qualities, who hasn't really been brought to the surface yet, who's sort of underlying at this moment. You think about Coutinho when he was bought for 8.5 million, I think it was from Inter Milan. But he possessed them elite traits. So Liverpool went out, identified potentially a player who wasn't hitting his peak, but knew that he had that quality. And I think it's that little bit of stardust uh, that would make the difference to Liverpool. And and certainly, I think as well, if you're a player in the Liverpool squad, when you see a player come in like that who has a little bit of different ability to the rest or you, you feel that they can move you on, it sends a massive sort of positivity throughout the squad, really. Um, but yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's not a good guy because you know how much uh, I, I love that, that player, the greatest ever, so... Yeah, no, you you texted me last week when it was uh, it was all kicking off saying we've got to talk about Messi at some point. So I thought I'd, I'd give you an opportunity there, Steve. I suppose now kind Thank of bring you. it round to towards the uh, towards the sort of start of the new season and things and looking within that Liverpool squad, if there isn't maybe going to be a, a massive addition from outside, I suppose there is always the opportunity within that Liverpool squad for one of these players who is bubbling away and developing to really break out and become a star. And I wonder whether fully fit Diogo Jota for a full campaign could well be the guy who this time next year we're, we're all bigging up as Liverpool's star attacker. Oh, I think Diogo Jota's already at that level. I think I think we're talking about four players fighting for three positions. We're not we're not talking about three with one sitting in reserve waiting for a, a late substitution or or an injury. Um, I think Jota's already there. I mean, I think he's I think he's demonstrated plenty of times that he can that he can score as many, if not more, goals than 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 the others. Even I mean, Salah had a very good season uh, last last year. Sadio Mane was was off the pace. I think we probably all accept that. But the signs are good in what we've seen in the preseason. He seems to have maybe re-established that spark. Um, and and signs also that Bobby may have uh, may have um, you know regenerated in some way. I don't think we're ever probably going to see um, the Firmino that we saw a couple of years ago on that kind of consistent level. But I think he's still going to contribute. And I, I think he's probably the man that will, will give way to Diogo Jota um, for the most part. I don't think it'll be a permanent thing. I think there'll be quite a bit of movement. I think I think all four will probably see a lot of every game because, you know, you, you tend to make substitutions uh, among the three up front. Um, all, you know, all, all four will, I think, get, get plenty of game time. Um, in terms of, you know, the eve of this, this season and... and and what team we're going to look at. And then as the campaign goes on, the, what fascinates me more than the, the front three is the, the central defensive two, you know, who, who's going to find their way because that's not really a pairing that you want to juggle around. You don't, you don't rest people. I mean, Van Dijk plays every game and whoever's alongside him plays every game until he gets injured. So I don't necessarily think the two that we see in game number one against Norwich will, will be, 
the preferred pairing. But by the time we get to October, I imagine Jurgen will have selected his 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 back two, his central two central defenders, and he'll look to stick with them. And I haven't got a clue who they're going to be. Or if all goes well, Virgil Van Dijk will be one of them. But who the other will be, I I really don't know. I'm a fan of all three. I'd be happy with whoever it is. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. How intrigued are you? You might see Ibrahim Akanate, the, the major summer signing. He's not been paired with Van Dijk so far during pre-season. I think that may well have been done on purpose as not to kind of spoil the, the sort of surprise and the grandeur <laughs> of it all when it does all happen. But I, I think those two looking at Canate through pre-season, they're going to take some beating, aren't they? I agree with Steve. It's really hard to know what sort of the pecking order is. I, I think it's also hard to judge because Klopp, Probably wouldn't have, well, he wouldn't have wanted to partner Gomez with Van Dijk, which straight away means the pairings have to be sort of slightly different in the pre-season. I mean, I believe looking at it, I'm of the opinion probably now that Matip and Van Dijk start the first game. You want to get Van Dijk on the pitch as much as you possibly can. He's been building up his minutes. He may feel that Liverpool will have a lot of the ball, a lot of resting time on the ball for Van Dijk during the Norwich game. And, you know, you think about Van Dijk, is, is another week going to make a massive deal of difference or another two weeks? You want to get him back there as soon as possible, not just for the impact he has on the field of play, but also, I think, sort of the psychological effect of seeing him there again for the pool and start of the season. So I would be inclined to, to think that Van Dijk will play. I'm a massive fan of both Joe Gomez and Joe, Joe Matip. I think it's really difficult when both of them were the best partner. Of, and I think both have shown at different stages in the Liverpool career, that they are the best partner at different times. Um, so I think it is really, obviously with Canate, it's difficult at the moment. You haven't seen enough of them. You need to assess them more. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it really is difficult. Maybe you'll see a situation where Joe Gomez fills in more as a, a flat for the first couple of months of return, sort of. I'm not a massive fan of him there but as an option to sort of collect Trent Alexander-Arnold in, in games where you need to defend a little bit more to slowly move them back in. But it'll just depend on the progress after injury, I think, as well. Obviously, Klopp's looking at them every single day and will know the levels they, they are at different stages. But I, I, I'm with Steve. I, I couldn't tell you the pecking order at the moment. But to say, I, I do believe Matip and Van Dijk will play um, at the weekend. I always, I always enjoy listening to Mark's analysis. And I'm... I'm sure you've you've read stories that that put forward this idea of three central defenders and then oh, uh, yes. Robbo and Trent wide in a sort of midfield position. Is I don't think that's something Jurgen's going to go for. But what do you think about it? Yeah, listen, Steve, it's a it's a good question. People have certainly got the personnel now. You would think to be able to play that way with the three centre halves, especially having sort of the mobile centre halves to play either side if they get drawn out into to wider areas which often happens playing a free. I think the one thing I would say about it is, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson, best when they are, uh, uh, see the game in front of them, where they can arrive onto the ball. And I think sometimes, we automatically think sometimes in the game that, you know, he's, a, he's attacking the ball back, that means he can play higher. But you're actually receiving the ball at different angles. It might be on the RT or in different higher positions. And I actually feel both players benefit from seeing the game in front of them. We've seen that a little bit with Alexander-Arnold when he's played for England in that position, who hasn't maybe had the effect. I know 
you'd have to factor in that obviously it's not playing for Liverpool, which he's much more accustomed to. And then on the other side, you could say Everton played really well in the free for Scotland. So it's it's they've certainly got the personnel, but I would wonder if Klopp would Klopp would make such a radical change to his normal lineup because it's not a system he's he's inherently used in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is it is interesting. Right, before we go then, let's uh, let's get bold and let's throw out some Wild predictions, shall we, for what's going to come of this season? I don't need definitive league placings unless you're going to say champions. I, I, I want to ask each of you. I'll ask you, Steve, first up in terms of Liverpool. Are they are they going to compete for the title? Do you think they can win it? And then we'll talk Champions League and FA Cup. Where do you think Liverpool this season can get to in those competitions? If you're asking me if they can win the Premier League, definitely they can. Definitely they, they can. I mean, I think I think. I, just, I think they probably might not. They think they might just be fall a shade short. I think second is probably the lock-in position for them. But yeah, it, it, City will have to be really on their game again to stop us winning the Premier League. I suspect they will be. So it's going to be it's going to be very very close. Um, you know, someone my age, I've seen Liverpool win the title many times, and in my formative years as well. And the the big thrill for me was seeing us conquer Europe. And that's always the one that I tend to focus on and put my emotional energy into. And anything can happen in the, in the Champions League. And I think Jürgen is a bit of a master at, uh, you know, sorting out the, the two-legged ties. And if we can get through the group stage, then any, anything can happen. But you mentioned the, the the FA Cup and whatever the other one's called these days. Is it still the Carlin Cup or is it something else now? Car- Carabao now, yeah. Carabao, the Carabao. Yeah. We haven't seen Liverpool do much, if anything, in those two competitions for a good long while. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we go the distance in the, in one of those and, and pick up a pot there come the end of the season. But uh, I think we'll, succeed, we'll see success to some degree, certainly in the in the two big ones. Yeah. yeah. What about yourself, Mark? Would you like to see Liverpool maybe have a go, have a bit of a go for the FA Cup because I think under Jurgen Klopp I might be wrong off the top of my head but I don't think they've been past the fourth round in that competition mm-hmm. and I know it isn't sort of the big trophy to be won though certainly the, the league and the, uh, the the Champions League but just wonder if the FA Cup might be one that's also sort of thrown in the mix especially if you've got Chelsea and Man City also competing for honours there are only a limited amount of trophies What I would say is Liverpool, unlike Manchester City, have very often over the last few years to be successful or be competitive, both in the Champions and the Premier League, after the strongest eleven pretty much on a week-to-week basis, which means that then Liverpool's depth of squad, I suppose, isn't as strong. And, and to be fair to Liverpool as well, when you compare, compare them to Manchester City, without me looking at sort of the draws, I'm pretty certain they've had a lot more difficult draws than Manchester City, for example, have had in these competitions for over the last few years which always is a fact that I suppose the look of the draw again plays into that. Um, I think it it would be difficult for Liverpool to win the league this season. I believe that every group of players has a cycle. Now, Liverpool, it, I mean, people talk about Liverpool winning the league, but let's be honest, Liverpool won the league virtually twice, really, when you look at the points they accumulated. That level of consistency that they had over a two-year period was only eclipsed because Manchester City was so brilliant and you know got a, a points total as big as any uh, football the same really and I do believe there will be a natural drop off in which a collated squad can continue to hit them heights and I think obviously with last season they had a lot of injuries probably fast forwarded but I do believe that they would need a bit of a bit of class introduced into that final third which would make the difference and make them really competitive I think Lukaku coming into Chelsea is another one which will 
Pellemachi will score goals to make a difference and they'll be right up there. But I can't see at this moment in time past Manchester City just with the control they have over games, the ability to rest with the games. I think that would be difficult. As far as the Champions League go, you only have to get a, any kind of functional system around Messi and you're going to be in a, with half a chance. So I, I think it's PSG is with that. I mean, how Barcelona struggled to do that over many years has been a, a disgrace. So. No, I, I had I had a hunch you were going to throw PSG in there into the Champions League <laughs> chat. True, I did, yeah, I did have a slight hunch. I just look there, actually. Liverpool have once been past the, the fourth round of the FA Cup under Jurgen Klopp that a couple of seasons ago, of course, when they lost in the fifth round at Chelsea. But first four games of the new season, Norwich away, the opener, Burnley at home, Chelsea at home and Leeds United away. This is sort of the, the, the final topic before we go, Stephen. It is going to be, if we're talking about even challenging for the title and really pushing Man City all the way, it is going to have to be a case of starting fast. And certainly the opening two fixtures are quite nice, but the two immediately after that are, are sort of the, the first real tests of the campaign. Yeah, I think the first two fixtures are compulsory three points, are there? Away to Norwich, uh, at home to Burnley, you'd certainly be disappointed if we didn't get six out of six there. Liverpool at home to Chelsea. Mike was talking earlier on about how uh, Anfield with a crowd in it would probably make more difference to Liverpool than any other team with a crowd in their home ground. And, and I think um, I think I would I would expect Liverpool to to take Chelsea on there and, and maybe even you know make a statement, um, ho- hopefully hopefully a convincing win, not just s- simply a three points. Maybe the that fourth fixture that you talk about, a way to lead United would be the tricky one. You have, you have a good start, uh, you get you get sort of um, comfortable in the league and then we all saw what Leeds did last season and away from home, um, that would be after the international break actually as I, as I look at the dates. So you don't know what's going to happen um, while key players are away and maybe that, game would be the one that would be the um the cliched banana skin uh and if 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 we've got nine points out of nine by the time we get to Leeds we'll have had a good start but that's the one to really be uh to have our eyes wide open for that one and uh, not fall asleep Right, yeah, no, that that is interesting, Stephen. We will, of course, have to see how the uh, season does play out. But from myself, Guy Clark, Mark Baker and Steve Dawson, thanks for joining us here on post-game. Pre-game, of course, ahead of the visit to Norwich City. Make sure you join us after the game. The usual post-game podcast will be back. But as I say, from myself, Guy Clark, Steve Dawson and Mark Baker, that's all we time for here on Blood Red. You've been listening to the Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel.